0: Hi, welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm Russ Hayworth, and I'm a family business advisor, as well as the host of this show. In each episode, you'll find informative and engaging conversations with experts from around the world, covering a range of topics relevant to family businesses and family offices. The show is supported by Family Business UK, the largest organization in the UK dedicated solely to supporting, representing, and championing family business. To find out more about their work and how to become a member, visit their website, familybusinessuk.org. Right, let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the Family Business Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Tom McCullough and Keith Whittaker. Today, we are going to be talking about the second uh, version of their book called The Wealth of Wisdom. And I'm really excited to bring you their insights from this fantastic book. So firstly, Tom, Keith, welcome to the show.
1: It's great to be with you. Thanks very much.
0: And let's kick off with some introductions. I know some of our audience will obviously be familiar with Tom. You've been on the show a couple of times. But for those that haven't, can you give an introduction to who you are, what you do? Uh, And then we
2: can uh, can meet Keith after that. Sounds great. Um, Thanks, Russ. Uh, Really glad to be here. Um, It's a great podcast. I really enjoy it. And um, my background is I spent, uh, I've only had two employers in my life. Um, I spent 20 years at an investment firm and uh, had a great experience there. It was really very enjoyable, very, uh, you know, a large firm, but very entrepreneurial. And I just learned a ton there and it was a great environment. Um, but uh, it ended up getting taken over by a bank and that was fine for a lot of years. But after a while, I sort of was thinking, hmm, I've been here 20 years and, It's a little less fun than it used to be. and Then there's a couple of other factors in my life that were relevant. One is I come from a a large family. I've got 28 first cousins on uh, my dad's side of the family, although I have an uncle on the other side of the family that has 105 cousins. So he uh, pales in comparison, but but they're Mennonites. So I guess they've got lots of cousins in their history. Anyway, I have 28 first cousins and they are – those who work are almost all entrepreneurs. And I had never been an entrepreneur. I was a 20 years a corporate person. So it was kind of in my blood to be an entrepreneur. And the uh, the second thing that was going on in my life is that our family, my parents essentially, were looking, this is 25 years ago, were looking for what I would now call a family office. I didn't know what it was back then really, but they wanted somebody who, um, or we wanted somebody, I guess, who uh, knew a lot about a lot of the financial areas uh, was objective, didn't have a product to sell, um, and was, you know, paid by us, not by a product provider, and would help us pull everything together in an integrated manner. And I couldn't find that in Canada. I did look in the US, and there were, there were some groups called family offices, and I thought, oh, well, maybe that's what this is. And uh, but they say the best entrepreneurs are frustrated consumers, and I was a frustrated consumer. I couldn't find what I needed, wanted, and uh, my parents asked, you know, if our firm can do it. And really, we couldn't because we were an investment firm. So, uh, at the end of the day, I decided, well, if I can't find this, maybe I should just start it, and that's what I did in uh, with a partner in 2003. We started Northwood Family Office. And we were started out as a multifamily office, and we're now 21 years into it, and uh, it's been a great experience. Our clients are sort of 30 million to several billion in size, and we've got uh, about 80 or 90 of them, and um, it's just a wonderful experience. Most of them are business owners. Uh, We've got a few lottery winners and few inheritors and that sort of thing, but a lot of business owners. And uh, it's um, and we're involved in you know planning. Uh, coordination of investments, um, um, wealth administration—I'll call it—and family-related issues, family engagement, and governance. So, really, the full gamut. We are the classic integrated advisor, and have been since day one. So, it's a wonder. It's been a wonderful life, and uh, I really enjoy it a lot.
0: Fantastic, and uh, I'm very excited to to delve into um, the the book but before we do we need to meet uh, Keith and Keith same question to you really is is introduce yourself to our audience and uh,
1: what you do and how you came to be doing that sure well again thank you Russ for inviting me to join the podcast uh, along with Tom uh, Tom and I have done a number of podcasts together in addition to putting together a couple of books and it's always a lot of fun to uh, present and talk with him and have a good time together. So it's great to be here. Um, well, so I've had a few more, uh, employers than Tom, it sounds like, um, (laughs) starting from when I was 12 years old, my first job was in a, as a stock boy in a, in a bookstore. And so I don't think I've ever really gotten away from books, um, since then, uh, publishing and writing and reviewing them. Uh, So uh, my career has had a number of twists and turns. I actually uh, started out in academia. So I did my uh, doctorate in uh, classical political philosophy, uh, studying mainly Plato and Aristotle. And I uh, taught at Boston College and Boston University for a number of years. Um, But I realized that I really enjoyed teaching, but I didn't enjoy Grading papers and uh, you know handing out grades to students and dealing with university bureaucracy. Um, so I moved from academia first into the research world. Uh, so researching uh, philanthropy primarily, so family philanthropy, individual philanthropy, motivation of philanthropists, wealth transfer, and from there I ended up um, moving into one of those multi-family offices that Tom mentioned in uh, the United States here, a pretty early one in the the late 90s, early 2000s, and um, was uh, hired by them to work with families uh, around philanthropy, help uh, families establish governance and um, communication and uh, deal with family dynamics. And um, you might wonder, like, well, why would somebody who is studying classical philosophy end up working with families around philanthropy? And basically, the questions of classical philosophy are what is the best life and what is the best form of community? And so those are questions that are very much at the heart of uh, people who are dealing with wealth uh, because you have the means to really choose your way of life, your community that you live with. Um, not bound by economic necessity. And so I found that those questions, that mode of teaching and asking questions, having dialogue, was really actually very helpful uh, to families in that circumstance. So um, we ended up selling that company to a big bank. And so I was in big bank world for a while. And in that context, uh, one of the executives came to me early on and said, well, you're some sort of college professor type person. Uh, You know, we we wanna do educational programs for our families. Can you set that up? And and so I developed really the first uh, internal practice in a big financial institution in the United States focused on family dynamics and uh, family dynamics of wealth. And so thankfully, I, I realized pretty early on that big bank world wasn't for me. And so I uh, did go independent, set up uh, my own company with my partner, Dr. Susan Masenzio, uh called Wise Counsel Research Associates back at the beginning of 2010. So we had great timing coming right out of the uh, great financial crisis to set up a new company in the financial world. Uh, but it actually worked out really, really well. So we've we've established an international brand in the area of family education governance um communication and the like and so we work mainly with uh, single family offices uh, families with very significant wealth around those topics and uh Over the years, I've had a chance to just work with wonderful families uh, all around the U.S., all around the world, and also continue to do a lot of research. Um, So we've uh, had a project running for many years called the 100-Year Families uh, Project, looking at families that have succeeded over at least three generations in managing wealth or a major family business together. I'm sure you've had people on the podcast talking about that. Um, And that has really informed our work so as to really focus on what is it that helps families succeed over time, not just deal with the crises or the horror stories, the like. And and that's been something that uh, families, uh, again, all around the world have found really extremely helpful. And of course, that's also connected then to the work that Tom and I have done over the last five years with these books and looking really very much forward to sharing more about that with you and your audience yeah and
0: um it, it it's fantastic to have you uh both on this episode um those listeners to the, the podcast who've been listening for a very long time uh will uh, know that tom and i had a conversation around the first wealth of wisdom uh book uh i think maybe three or four years ago um and it's great to, to be able to chat to both of you but i'm intrigued as to how you came to be Working together on this product, you say the the project. Sorry, you say it's been kind of five years or so. Talk, talk our audience through how you came to to the decision to to do this.
2: Well, this this is like a, an old married couple. Each of them could talk about <laughs> their perspective on how it happened. But I, I'll will start with mine. Uh, so I I had this idea some time ago to uh, create a book about questions that families ask and people do they, you know you know that expression you know you've seen one family office you've seen one family office well actually i don't know how true that is because it, families have a lot of similar questions you know there's a lot of families who you know mean questions about kids and raising the next generation and questions about life transition and succession and you know how do i how do we give appropriately and there's a lot of similar questions and i've heard them over my lifetime and i thought wouldn't it be great to get all those questions in one book and or one place and so people could you know there'd be benefit to families and so i had talked to somebody about uh, doing this with me and that hadn't worked out so i was going to a, a family office exchange um, conference on being a trustee i'm a trustee of a number of trusts and have never really had sort of you know, specific trustee training. And I thought it'd be good to, to get some. I think it was in, in Atlanta, if I remember correctly. And um, there was this guy named Keith Whitaker, who I'd heard of because <clears throat> he's written a, a number of books and and uh, along with Susan and Jay Hughes and, and other um, notables. And um, so I saw him on the agenda and he was uh, one of the speakers at the, this conference on trusts. And we ended up uh, sitting together sort of accidentally at lunch, and we had a great conversation and then we were uh um unbeknownst to us seated together at dinner. And then, and then we have one of those crazy programs where they, you know, uh, sort you by color in terms of your personality type. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what color we were. I think it was green, but we were c- cerebral and <clears throat> we're like, the, I figure we were like the two old guys in the Muppet show up in the corner. <laughs> so we had this uh, acerbic uh, wit and sense of humor and we were sort of off in the corner, you know, making fun of, ourselves and and everybody and so i think we we kind of bonded over that and uh it was just a really a really neat connection and i said i had to ask keith to come and um speak at a an event and i said well let's talk about the details later and when we talk i've got a question for you which i was going to say like i don't even know you but do you want to write this book with me and then, so we ended up talking a week later, and I mentioned the, um, the we talked about the, the conference that he was going to speak at. And then I was a bit shy, because I thought, I don't even know this guy. He's not, I'm going to ask him to write a book with me. It's pretty intense, you know, long-term <laughs> relationship thing. So I was a little embarrassed, so I didn't say anything. And and thankfully, Keith said, uh, before I hang up, there was something you were going to ask me. So I thought, oh, well. I went ahead and asked him and, and he said uh, he'd be game. So um, he did think about it for a couple of weeks. But, uh, but anyway, that's my my perspective. I don't know what yours is, Keith, if it's similar or not. We've never talked about this.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I certainly remember the acerbic uh, comments and uh, making fun of ourselves and others. And that's, uh, that's uh, par for the course for me. Um, and uh, I, I think I'll only add two points on that. Um, one, you know, Tom mentioned that uh, he had really been thinking about putting together a book on questions uh, that families ask, which you know, you've know you talked about before, the first uh, Wealth of Wisdom book. And that really resonated with me when Tom mentioned it uh, first to me, because that was, again, one of the things that I found within um, the, the multifamily office world and, and the big bank was that uh, relationship managers or executives kept coming to me saying, um, oh, hey, do you have a list of like good questions for us to ask our clients? You know, it was like, what are the top 10 questions? And so for many years, I had kept this catalog of questions. And so when Tom raised that topic of putting together the first book on questions, I thought, all right, this is perfect. You know, it's something that's really needed out there. The other thing I'd mentioned is uh, in terms of when Tom kind of sprung the question to me about working together, I had... Um, had the experiences uh, of writing uh, you know, some books myself in the academic world and then uh, some books uh, with co-authors, including back when I was in the research uh, kind of line of things. And after the first one that I did with co-author, I had swore that I would never Co-author a <laughs> book ever again for someone, um, but then it, it turned out that as Tom mentioned, Jay and Susan and I and Hartley Goldstone and others have co-authored books over the years, and so uh, it really has turned out to be a, a lot of fun, and so much fun that we've we've done it again. So,
2: <laughs> and I'll just want to add one comment about questions. You know, I I've always been a big lover of questions. I think questions open the conversation; they don't close it. Uh, they don't presume that there is a uh, one single answer, it invites input. Um, you don't know exactly where it's going to where the, the the next step's going to go, which I think is really a lot about life, you know, and you and, and then I don't know where, where this if, if we'd already decided to do this or not. But instead of Keith and I answering all the questions ourselves, which I think we could have done given our overlap of experience, we could have written probably on all of the, the topics, we decided instead to say, you know, we're not the owners of every good idea out there for families by a long shot. And so what if we, you know, go through each of the questions and say, who in the world that we know or don't know, because we cold called some people, uh, would be the perfect person to answer this question. And, uh, that's what we did. And, uh, we got, you know, an amazing, amazing group of people to, to write, And uh, just such a fantastic um, contributor base. The second book was a little bit of a different uh, approach to getting people and what we ask of them. But it was certainly uh, the first book really was was really the model for this. You know, I I always think of it like I don't know what you call it in the UK, but we, we call it a potluck where you bring, you know, like a covered dish dinner or something where you every every person brings the thing they like best that their family loves. And you know, we just thought you know you get you get all sorts of ideas from all sorts of different people. It's a it's just a the, out, the output is fantastic.
0: Yeah, it is fantastic, and and um, I'm a, a lucky owner of both books, and, and they're both uh, exceptional in in terms of the um, content that's provided within them. There are differences, though, as you mentioned. So the the difference in terms of the first book being about the. Uh, questions that are most commonly asked and if people haven't either listened to the episode we recorded historically or haven't got a copy of that book recommend that as well uh, uh, as this uh, the second in this series but but what are the key differences in terms of your approach to this second book and, and what was the
1: motivation behind that? Well, so in terms of the approach, it was similar in that, as Tom mentioned, rather than try to come up with all the answers ourselves, we did invite uh, colleagues, you know, who had really distinguished themselves in the field to provide the chapters. So this really is a wealth of wisdom of of ideas and practices. Uh, But really, what we asked people was: Is there some practice, some tool, some exercise that you use in your work with? client families that really stands out uh, in your experience as something that you continually go back to, that's time-tested, that has been found to be so valuable uh, to your clients uh, over over the decades. That was the question that we asked each contributor. And so what we've got in this book is really the best of the best of all of these 60-some-odd contributors' practices. Um, And so It seemed like a natural transition from the first book where we're really asking uh, family members to reflect on these questions to then move to action. All right So to think about what is it that you individually or you in your family need at this point in time uh, to do, to learn, to develop more in. And so here are tools, exercises, and practices that can help you do that. So it's it's a very natural progression from one book to the next. Uh, and again, having opened up the questions, uh, as Tom said, with the first book, now we have, not exactly the answers, but ways for people to find those answers for themselves, whether the topic is around values, whether it's around more, the, quote, harder topics of investing or planning, whether it's around a family communication and dynamics or family philanthropy. In all of these different areas, these practices give people uh, tools in their own hands, or to work with their existing advisors uh to find those answers for themselves and we'll get into some of the specifics as we go along
2: here and, and for me, it was um uh, you know it, it often comes back to personal need. I'm dealing with clients all day every day, and I'm thinking, oh, what would be a good exercise to do to help bring that out or or give people an experience you know of the topic we're we're trying to cover and you know, I have a full a file folder, I guess now it's on my computer, but I'd have to search through it. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great to have it all in one place? And so that was kind of the motivation. And we and we already had this list, amazing list of contributors to the first book. And, you know, so there's lots of overlap between the the contributors in each of the book, but there's new ones in each case uh, as well. Um, I was just thinking about the, the use of the book and it's very interesting. I, I was just on a, a call the other day, and we were talking about some of the practices from this book with other advisors, and they were it was interesting to hear how other people use it. But one, one um, thing I've heard many, many, many times, and some of our clients do it as well, is they'll buy a copy of the book for each of the family members, say there's a dozen people in the family, and then they will use the book as content for their family meetings. So, you know, a family meeting will come up and it'll be, you know, Susie's turn to lead the family education section. And she's going to pick the topic on, you know, um, whatever it is, passing on the family uh, vacation home. And so she'll read the chapter. Everybody will read the chapter and she will lead a discussion on that. And guess what? She's 17. 17. You know, and then grandma who's, you know, 84 might lead the next one on, you know, um, you know whatever it is, you know, mental incapacity, whatever. Maybe she wants to get ahead of the topic and say, let's talk about this, folks. And, and also, uh, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, but we have, um, what we've also done is we've done a, a, a podcast interview with each of the pe- people who contributed a chapter in both books. So I think we're up to 88 or 89 podcasts now. So if somebody really does want to delve into it, if they're leading a discussion in their family group, or if they're wrestling with a particular issue, you know, we just, I just had a conversation with Arden O'Connor, who uh, uh, wrote a chapter on um, health, basically a wellness assessment, a health and wellness assessment. And, you know, if somebody's got an issue or concerned about an issue, you can read the chapter. She's also also lists a whole bunch of other resources, but then there's also this podcast where we interview Arden about the topic. And so you can you can go, you know, you can flip through them and say, "Okay, these are issues I should be aware of," or you can drill down into them in detail. And and in fact, you can pick up the phone and talk to Arden too. So we just felt it was a real resource for people to have at their fingertips. And one other, just one last story is an, another, uh, two advisors have said to me re- just recently that, oh, I carry this with me all the time. I carry the book with me wherever I go, because uh, in, invariably I'm with a family and, and something, you know, changes overnight. And I think, oh, I need to pivot and I want to go down, you know, track B as opposed to track A. And what are some tools that are available? So anyway, lots of different uses. And I would say we're, you know, we're pretty happy with with the way that that's gone and how people are able to use it
0: yeah it's it's a really fantastic um, toolkit for for families and I'm guessing for advisors as well this isn't isn't just aimed for families to be able to use in their family as you say for advisors to be able to have access to some of the best minds in the field all in one place in one book where they're sharing some of the um, kind of best ideas around it it's it's an incredible resource to be able to have access to and one of the elements that I really uh, like about it and I think this is a a really uh, strong feature of the book is that the chapters are chapters they are they are um, five six seven pages long rather than being sort of hundreds of pages long on a particular subject so it kind of almost forces I'm guessing the writing of those chapters to be straight to this is how to go about using it rather than it being kind of overly waffly um, like this question is but in terms of it being kind of really (laughs) succinct and and to the point of of where the um, tool can be useful it's straight there right It, it these are really practical useful ways for for people to look at it
1: Exactly. You know, one of our contributors, uh, to both, well, really to both volumes, uh, Charlie Collier, who passed away a number of years ago, um, told me early on, he said, you're going to write a book for this audience, write something that someone can read on a flight from Boston to Chicago. So, you know, like about an hour and a half in the air, maybe, um, and that was, that was very good advice. And we really took it to the next level here with these two books was to say something that somebody could read in the course of maybe 20 minutes or so as a, as a chapter. Um, but that doesn't mean there isn't a lot in each one, right? There's uh, what we asked each contributor to do was to identify the practice, to lay it out in a clear you know, outline bulleted form so that people will follow it and also give a couple of examples um, so that people can make it concrete uh, for themselves so as tom said the chapters are really designed for family members to read and discuss together in say like uh, family reading groups uh, so we've heard from a number of families that instituted reading groups within their families where they meet once a month say by zoom and they'll take a different chapter from this book or the first book uh, for discussion and so that then creates this learning community within the family and you don't have to read you know war and peace together this can
2: be you know cover five or six or more chapters in the course of the year this way it reminds me of mark twain's comment he said uh I didn't have time to write you a short letter, so I wrote you a long one.
0: Yes, I was thinking so of exactly the same. And that, that, I think, is the beauty of it, is that they capture, the, the contributors have captured everything that needs to be captured in that. And I it, I can imagine it took time and real care to get it to the point where it is so easily communicated because it is easier to, to keep adding and, and adding and adding. And I think this does it in such a brilliant way to, to be so useful um, as a toolkit uh, for
2: families. It, it, it may be, sorry, it may be that um, some people have read it cover to cover, but I don't think many have. Uh, my bet is people look at the table of contents and run their finger down it and say, oh, that's something I'm interested in. They'll flip to that page and maybe they'll read a couple of chapters in that section and then they'll flip to another one. So um, it, it's, and the flow of the book is not such that you have to read it in order. You can read it as needed. So I think that's a, that's a plus for it as well
0: yeah and there are different sections on different topics right it's not just one chapter covering it. there's different chapters that cover different um, elements and uh, i think again it is um it is very well laid out very easy to, to navigate um to, for, for somebody who's reading it we spoke um before we hit record around how to demonstrate some of the uses that the the book has had for particularly around certain chapters and I'm often reluctant to ask questions like what is your favourite chapter, particularly when other people have contributed because it's a bit like if you've got more <laughs> than one kid, you're trying to choose your favourite. But there's obviously many, many chapters. All the chapters in the book are extremely useful, but just to give our audience a bit of a feel for what they cover and how they cover, um, could you sort of run us through, Tom, I think you have one that uh, that you would want to uh, run through to to kind of highlight how the book delivers what it delivers
2: one thing i thought i might just mention is uh james uh, jay hughes who who many of you will know as perhaps the father of the family wealth field is uh wrote the forward and keith knows jay particularly well they've written many books together and um jay not only wrote the forward but he wrote two um practices um, in the book as chapters, but even in his foreword, he wrote a practice. So he really squeaked in three practices, well above his limit. And uh, <laughs> But I was thinking that, um, you know, people often say, you know, what did you get out of it? Or what was memorable for you? And, one, and the practice in Jay's foreword, I found memorable, and I now have incorporated it into my practice. So this is not just these authors that write this thing that somebody else could use because it's not us doing all of it. And we're, you know, experiencing it as we go. We're learning from it too, of course. So uh, Jay talks about this uh, idea of entering the room. He tells a story of about, uh, he was about to go into um, work with a family and he was full of, in his head was full of the curriculum and the information and he was going to present. And he was the expert and, and, For some reason, he stopped and thought, I'm just going to sit down for a minute. And he sat down outside the room. He says, I'm sure they'll be okay if I'm a couple of minutes late. And he just went around the room in his mind and brought each person to mind. You know, Sharon is 35. She must be thinking about this kind of stuff. These must be the issues she's facing. And he knew all these people, you know. um, you know, Madeline is in her 70s, just, just turned 70, so she must be thinking about this. And it really just brought each person to mind and thought about the people, not the curriculum, and really shifted his thinking from, I am the expert, I will dispense the curriculum, to say, these are the people, how can I help? And if you've ever heard uh, Jay talk, he talks a lot about coming in with the beginner's mind. So you, you come into something and you don't you know, spout your knowledge, but you, you see where you can help. And uh, I'm, I'm certainly no expert at that kind of approach. And I've been taught (laughs) over the years to bring my expertise and make sure I'm prepared and so on. But I have, I have incorporated that into my practice and just used it last week, in fact, with a family where I was um, a little nervous about my knowledge on something and was feeling uh, stressed buy it and how do you deal with that you know normally you get more information and get more prepared and drive the agenda but i was able to use this as an example and just be um go in with beginner's mind and and be open and so that was just it's one little example it's a very very simple example you know many of these many of these practices and tools are not complicated but it's just a reminder of you know who it is that we're dealing with what do they need how can we be helpful? It's just a, a mindset shift. So, um, so the one I was going to talk about uh, is, um, it is chapter thirty-two in the book, and it's just it's really an example of um, partly what what we do, what I do in my day job uh, at a family office, but also an example of what we were looking for in this book. We wanted to give people tools to help them evaluate their situation. So uh, we have a, a tool that has, I think it's 52 questions on it. We call it a family self-assessment tool. And we have have um, a whole bunch of questions and they're not you questions. You should do this, you should do that. They are I questions, like I feel comfortable with, or I'm okay that, or you know uh, I understand the following. So, for example, you know, they're under organization planning. I know what my long-term goals are. And then you answer yes, no, or not sure. I've quantified the family goals and have have a good idea of what they will cost. Yes, no, not sure. And then it might go through to tax planning or it might go to family issues. You know, our family has frequent, open, healthy dialogue about money and financial issues. We have regular family meetings where key issues are addressed. And the family goes through those and identifies the areas. And what happens is it opens up where the gaps are. There may be no gaps. Maybe they're perfectly comfortable. Uh, My experience is that's not very common. What's very common is people say at least, you know, they'll say yes to some, they'll say not sure to a lot. And depending on the situation, they might say no to quite a lot. But but what it also helps them do is determine where there are gaps and where there aren't gaps. Maybe there's certain areas that they're in great shape and there's other areas that they see a gap. And and then there's people who have gaps in a lot of areas and that leads to either they have to go find, um, uh, you know, spend a lot of time sorting out it out themselves or find the appropriate advisors, some of whom will be individual advisors in, in different areas. And then the question is, how do you coordinate all that? And so one of my passions in life is um the role of the integrated advisor who works not like an electrician or a plumber or a drywaller but rather works like a general contractor and plays that coordination role. So this kind of questionnaire helps people determine if that's what they need or do they need something else. And so it's really a great uh a great conversation. I just talked to somebody the other day and she said I didn't answer yes to any one of those questions. I said, okay, well, let's have a conversation. You know, what are the priorities? So I think it's, um, that's just, it. so it's just one example of a tool, uh, but it's something that somebody could take and use as a family in their own life and go through that process or talk and talk to their existing advisor about it. So those yeah. are the types of things we we're looking for that somebody could take and use today.
0: A couple of things on on that that springs to mind. Firstly, the exercise that that um, Jay talks about in the foreword, it is that that can also be exceptionally useful for families who are going into meetings together as well. Right? Is to think about well, what are other people going to be feeling and to go in with that beginner's mind and to to take that approach. And then, as you were saying around the the family self assessment tool, what springs to mind for me is within each of the sections that are in the questionnaire you might be able to highlight themes that then mean you can delve into other areas of the book to find okay well there's an exercise here that is related to our approach to philanthropy for example and so it's a really useful tool to help families really get clear on the areas that they might want to find more out about rather than I've had it with families as well where they felt a little bit kind of lost but not sure quite why what area it is that they feel that they're they're missing some clarity or or some information on and having access to these kinds of tools and they're they're right there in the book all of the questions are there in the book there's nothing hidden on that to say well you have to then go and do this to, to answer the last 20 questions to get your response they're all there so it's a really good way as you say to be able to then go these are the areas that we want to focus on or if there's an outlier of maybe one person that's unclear on one thing it highlights that there could be some better communication or a specific education element for them as well that that be a f- kind of a fair assessment on how you've seen those used
2: yes absolutely and uh the goal i think is for people to be able to say yes to all or almost all of the qu- all of the questions or the statements and i think that uh they can it's a, it's it's possible and and it's just a matter of finding the right you know resources and tools and people to to help you get there one thing you mentioned that i think is a good point is that you know sometimes one person may fill this out and fill and say you know yeah we're fine on everything often that's dad you know yeah we're good we're good but then if you ask mom and the kids and others they might go well i don't know anything about this so i can't say i'm comfortable and and then um so i think it's that's even a good conversation to have you know maybe dad you're comfortable because you know all the bits and pieces and uh we don't so talk about education and disclosure and uh sharing of responsibilities and you know and people also will check yes when it's not true uh either they're embarrassed or more likely they think it's fine but they just don't know what they don't know so there's all you know it's back to the idea of questions you know it opens up conversation and i think that uh you know i think and even just even just listening to these 52 questions you realize that boy there's a lot of stuff and those things are all interconnected and it's it's really important that we know all of them have have confidence that all of them are in hand at some level because you know if most of them are and a couple of key ones aren't then it's still it's still a challenge so Anyway, I just think the idea of somebody being able to say yes to all those is a beautiful goal for a family.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, And that's one example uh, of one chapter in the book. And I think it's highlighted how useful that is. Um, And Keith, I know you were involved um, as well in in, uh, a chapter around a three-step process for uh, enhanced communication, um, which again is another one. Uh, I, I try to to look through the chapters of the book and think, well, I wonder if I have a favourite, and and I think it's a real, it's not a case of having a favourite because they're all so useful in their own um, right. That it's it's not kind of a pecking order on that side of it. Uh, and this one was one that I, I reread the the chapter today in in preparation for our uh, conversation. It was just, yeah, this is this is another great um, uh, approach and tool. So, can you talk us through this? Uh, three-step process for, for enhanced communication from, from your chapter in the book?
1: Sure, happy to. Before I do so, I just want to add to what Tom was saying about his chapter on the family self-assessment. That That chapter is really emblematic of a type of chapter that we have in pretty much every section of the book that allows readers to assess themselves, assess their knowledge, their skills, their readiness around these different topics. So whether You know, just scanning through the table of contents, whether it's benchmarking your family against successful global families, as Dennis Jaffe uh, contributed a chapter, or advancing, flourishing through this learning roadmap that Stacey Allred and Joan DeFuria and Stephen Goldbart uh, put in there, or... Um, managing a shared family property, which is a chapter that Jamie Forbes contributed both to the first volume and the second volume because we found it so helpful, or Scott Peppett's chapter on the four horsemen graph in monitoring your financial capital. These are all chapters that involve a lot of self-assessment in these different topics. And the real benefit of that, uh, I find, is that people then can, they feel in control of prioritizing what it is that they want to work on right so it can feel bewildering to deal with all of these different topics all these different domains multiple family members you know so that can feel overwhelming and what these chapters do these assessments do is allow you to say all right yeah there might be 10 different things that we could learn that we could work on but these are the one two or three that we want to work on in the next 12 months let's say and really narrow it down And that also has the benefit, uh, if you're doing this as a family, of requiring that you communicate and make a decision together about what to prioritize. So you exercise those skills, those muscles of communication and shared decision-making. So I think that's another real benefit of these assessment chapters, as as I'll call them uh, here, that that Tom's brought out. So in terms of then the the chapter on the three-step process, if you... You know, think about, do some of this work, and you realize, well, maybe one of the things that we want to prioritize is to enhance our communication, especially, say, as a couple. Say, if a husband and wife are managing wealth or a business together, they're thinking about involving their rising generation family members in that they want to communicate important information. But they realize, uh, you know, as Tom was saying before, that you know maybe there are some differences between them in that, which is not uncommon if and if you've been married, you know this. Um, so, uh, how do they deal with that? That's something that you know I find comes up all the time. You know, we might have great technical solutions to various topics of succession planning or investment management or philanthropic giving. And you find that there's kind of continual procrastination or blockages of of people taking action. And when you finally like sit down with people, especially say a couple, you realize that that procrastination may come because they realize that there are actual differences of opinion that they hold on important topics and that those haven't been surfaced, they haven't been dealt with. So this three-step process is one that couples can use. It's one that uh, siblings could use too. So if you're dealing with like a brother or a sister and managing wealth, uh, this is very helpful as well. And it was originally developed By the colleague i mentioned earlier uh charlie collier who was the senior philanthropic advisor for harvard university and charlie would work with families around their philanthropic giving not necessarily just to harvard but in general and he developed this because he found that couples often were stymied in really um, making the most of their giving because they had differences of opinion about what to give to or maybe just giving in general and so What this three-step process that he developed that uh, I've used many, many times in the past involves is very simple. Three things, like that's the the highest number of things I can hold in my mind at any time. So that's one of the (laughs) the real virtues of this uh, practice. But the first step is that each member of the couple or the sibling group reflects individually. What do you, what is it that I think or feel about this topic? So say it's about sharing information about wealth with your children. So you think, all right, first of all, what do I believe? What do I want? What are my wishes? What are my hopes? So getting really clear individually, not, oh, what does my wife think I should do, (laughs) right? Or, you know, what is my partner afraid of here? But no, what do I think? What do I want? Very important to do that first, because all of us are continually mind reading, right? We're always thinking, what does the other person want? What is the other person afraid of uh, or hope for? So, nope, you got to first start with yourself. And then the second step, we ask each member of of the spousal group or sibling group to express his or her views without interruption right? So it isn't a dialogue at this point. It's really just getting your thoughts out. And again, this is so crucial because in real conversations, most of us are always self-editing, right? We're always starting to argue what we think the other person is going to say, right? And try to get ahead of that. No, this is just expressing your own view to the other person directly without interruption. And when you're done, then the other person gets her chance to share her views without interruption, right? So very crucial that that take place. And then the third step is for the couple or the sibling group to look back and say, all right, we've heard from each other, we've got our views out there after some thoughtful self-reflection, where's the common ground? And a lot of times there's a fair amount of common ground there that just gets overlooked because people focus on the differences, right? Or the areas of conflict. So where's the common ground? Where are the differences? And then you can start to problem solve around addressing those differences, or maybe sometimes it's just accepting them and moving on and deciding, all right, what is the communication plan about this? Or what is the action plan about this? And again, I've seen this used extremely well in cases where parents are wanting to introduce say their children to the family wealth you know to disclose that information and they've been really held up out of fear out of concerns about throwing their children off track or maybe concerns about how it's going to affect their own lives and you know their own financial situation how it might affect their children's relationships whatever but all of those concerns are in their own heads and they're continually living in their own heads And this practice gets those things on the table in a safe way, a structured way, so that then they can uh, work together around what to do. So it's been extremely, extremely helpful, in part because of its very simplicity.
0: Yeah. And as you mentioned, it's it's a practice. So it's not something you would necessarily just do once. It's almost to try and get into that habit of taking this approach to this is how we then approach conversations that are about bigger issues and around that communication element. And I love the um, fact that you mentioned there's often a lot more that's agreed upon than disagreed upon, but the focus seems to be on, well, we disagree on this bit, how do we tackle that? But if there's, if it's kind of 95% agreement and there's this little area it allows you to focus on it uh, in a more constructive way. So yeah, I, I love the, um, the, the approach and the method uh, that you describe. Um <clears throat> the other thing that is kind of a, a a comment more than a question but but welcome your views on it as well is that the the book is, approachable from multiple different generational perspectives right it's not written for say the senior generation or the seeding generation or the next generation. it covers all bases in terms of the types of um, people that will be reading it's very accessible from from that perspective and do, do you hear that from families where they there are multiple different generations that are using it Tommy, you use the example of how the seventeen-year-old might pick a particular topic, and then the eighty-four-year-old grandmother might pick a, a particular topic. And I think that's part of the attractiveness of, of this approach as well—is that it's not aimed at a particular um, generation.
2: Yeah, it's definitely not aimed at a particular generation. But uh, you know, it's an interesting—you th- know—the the parent generation, let's call it—often has holds most of the cards. They have the information they've got the control and um, so in some ways you know the 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 book um, the books are you know a little bit oriented toward them to say hey there's another way beyond just you know being in control and being in charge remember that you know you cast a large you know wealthy and and um, successful people cast very large shadows and it's hard to even know you know where to jump in uh, to the skipping rope for the young next generation. What should they ask? What shouldn't they ask? How do they, you know, what information do they know and don't they know?
1: That's interesting. It's interesting you say that, Tom, because I was thinking that most of the time I hear from people that it's next generation or rising generation family members who grab one of these books and see topics that they say, oh, you know what? That's a topic I know our family needs to deal with But our parents or grandparents aren't dealing with it, you know, because they do hold the cards. They may be comfortable, maybe they're uncomfortable, but they don't know what to do about it. And so it's often a rising gen family member who introduces the idea of, hey, how about we read this chapter together? And then that leads to the further family discussion. So I like to think of our books as really subversive that way. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah no i totally agree with that and uh it, it's the the question is how you how you come at it to have these conversations so it's um no i i agree totally i was thinking just about the, the the take you the vantage point you have on issues and it reminded me of one of the chapters called how powerful are your questions by ian mcdermott and he talks about literally just how you frame the issue. So to your point Keith, you know, is it a a parent with a particular point of view or is it the next gen with a, you know, subversive and how do we look at this issue, point of view? But just a small thing. And again, I've used this now in my own practice, but he talks about, you know, most people say, you know, I want to talk to you and they and the person says, "What's the problem?" So they're framing this issue as a problem. You know, dad, I want to talk to you. What's what's the problem? And then, you know, how long have you had this problem? When did it, why did it start? And who's to blame? And what's your worst experience with the problem? And why haven't you solved it yet? And he says, you know, if you reframe things, if somebody says, I want to speak to you and you say, what do you want? And how will you know when you've got it? And what else will your in your life will improve when you've got it and it, what is something similar you did succeed in doing and what's the next step and those kinds of questions. And, and he, he even talks about how just the body language responds to those two different sets of questions. One is that, you know, it cows you and especially thinking about the next gen, you know, how do they jump in and, you know, and uh, so I think it's very true that we, we hope that the next generation and, and often advisors who are, you know, often uh, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for, allies, to anybody in the family who's trying to move things forward to thriving and success, um, you know, can use these, all these tools to help open things up. And the folks that have the control and power and information can share it so that others can develop and the family can thrive and there can be communication. Yeah. It sounds like there should be rainbows and birds singing at yeah. this point. Well, it's funny. As you were <laughs> speaking,
1: I was thinking about uh, I, this has happened to me a number of times where parents have initiated the conversation because, as you say, Tom, they hold the card. So it's typically they have to actually t- take action to move things along. But um, parents have initiated a conversation by calling for a family meeting uh, for the first time. And several times I've spoken to rising gen family members who will say to me, What's going on? Like, is somebody really sick? Is somebody going to die? Like, is that why we're meeting? You know, so contrary to the rainbows and birds, it's it's like there's a sense of dread about these topics. Um, And so, again, the the hope here is that this allows people to frame things in a an honest but a positive way around growth and development of the family's uh, learning and skills. And that's, I think, to your question, Russ, about you know where generationally does this come in. One chapter that I think really uh, gets at this nicely is, again, our colleague Jay Hughes um, contributed a a chapter to the last section on philanthropy, especially, uh, I think, fitting this time of year, where he encourages not so much parents, but grandparents and grandchildren to work together around giving. And so this is just a wonderful practice that Jay has used for decades now, where he gets no grandparents, and then even young grandchildren—you know, say under ten or you know in their early teens—to sit together uh, at holiday time and think about together what's something that each grandchild would like to give to. Maybe it's a hundred dollars or five hundred dollars or something like that. And for each grandchildren to share that idea with the grandparents, and then for the grandparents to affirm that, and it really starts to teach certainly you know the rising generation of family members to think about the impact that wealth can have on their communities to think about what they care about what their values are to have the experience of speaking in front of their siblings to their elders and in the family so developing skills that matter in all sorts of areas of family life and to forge or strengthen that connection between the rising generation and the elder generation and again that can be extremely uh, valuable uh, warm powerful and as jay mentions you know according to this uh, uh, proverb uh, chinese probably heard that that uh, you know ch- that grandchildren and grandparents allied against the parents <laughs> so again to the <laughs> subversive theme that um there can actually be some benefit in really uh strengthening that bond in terms of drawing grandchildren into the discussions of family wealth
0: yeah and there's a another chapter that brings that to mind off, off the back of that or around the, that conversation but of generational and, and intergenerational um communication and that that chapter is around intergenerational dialogue which i think a, a colleague of yours uh contributed to uh keith again can you kind of speak to that because I guess it's like another highlight of uh how useful uh each of the chapters within the book can be
1: sure sure i'll, I'll just summarize it really briefly and then people can take a further look themselves but this is a practice that my partner, Dr. Susan Masenzio, has used for many years called the intergenerational dialogue. And we typically use this within a family meeting context. And so what we ask families to do in the family meeting, so this is live, this is like happening in the actual meeting, is that we'll split them into generational groups. So say we have you know, parents and then adult Uh, children. We'll split them into two groups, and we'll ask each group to spend, say, 15 to 30 minutes separate, and for each group to think about two questions. One is, what is it that I would like to share or tell the other generation share with or tell the other generation what are some messages uh that i'd like to give them and the second is what is it that i'd like to ask or learn from the other generation so you know one of us might sit with the parents the other sit with the adult uh, children to get them thinking about those things but of course people can do this themselves too they don't need a facilitator to do it and then We'll bring them back as a group and typically we'll start with the rising generation group and they will then share those messages with their parents and share those questions. And oftentimes what they'll do is they'll actually decide for one member of the rising generation to just kind of share the messages and share the questions so that it isn't personalized. It's not like, oh, well, Johnny wants to know you know, when do we get the money? Like, and how much is there, right? And, and, you know, and Susie wants to share the message that, oh, we love you so much, blah, um, it's, it's really the generation that's the, to put those things forward. And they have, to, they have to decide as a generation, what is it they're gonna ask? What is it they're gonna tell? And who's gonna do the talking? And the same thing for the parents, you know, we'll have them share their messages, uh, you know, love, trust, support, et cetera, and also share their questions right? Because a lot of times parents themselves will feel a little hesitant to ask, you know? So they'll ask questions like, how is it that we can help? What are you struggling with? What are you concerned about, about the wealth? Do you ever feel ashamed or guilty that we have so much, you know? So they really get these important questions from each generation on the table in a safe way, because otherwise, as you know, when you're dealing with wealth or a family business, People have those questions in their head, but they feel afraid to ask them because they don't want to seem pushy or entitled or waiting for something to happen to get their hands on the money or the business. So this is a safe way to put those questions on the table. And then we give people permission as a family to say, you can answer some of these now if you like. Or we keep track of them so that you can do some work and then come back again to deal with specific questions in the future family meetings. So it creates almost like a, an agenda of discussion topics for further learning, further research, and further discussion in family meetings. And again, like you said about the three-step process in couples, this is not a one-and-done thing. So this is something that typically families will continue in one family meeting after another over the course of years so that it really does become an intergenerational dialogue over time, It becomes part of their habit as a family.
2: And Keith, it's interesting. I do a similar exercise with people and I actually even do it in, in the MBA class I teach and get people to pretend to be the older generation and the other half to be the younger generation. And um, and and we basically have a list, you know, we list, you know, f- what are five things that are of concern to you as, you as that generation? And one of the things I find is that often the concerns are actually quite similar. So the, the parent may say, I'm not sure they're ready to run the business. And the kid's concern is, I'm not sure we're ready to run the business. You know, and then, then you put them together and they both go, oh, okay. So we got, but we want you to, and we want to. And so, so there, there's often more commonality in our areas of concern and opportunity, I'm sure, than, than we think, but we think we're on different sides. So I think it's, a, it's just a really, again, it's very, very simple, isn't it? But the tool is very, is profound. And sometimes it just, you know, in the busyness of our lives with all the clutter on the radar screen, if you read something that strikes you in a moment, say, I could do that. That would be helpful then we've begun to accomplish our our goals.
0: Yeah, and I think you touched on something a a few times throughout the the conversation that we've had is around the kind of simplicity of of a lot of the um, tools and, and suggestions within the book. Uh, and to me, that, that it kind of it's a it's a way to introduce these types of conversations without it being a blunt kind of potentially confrontational element. If people are are unsure as to how best to raise a particular issue, rather than either not say anything or clumsily kind of. Fumble their way into to that kind of questioning. These tools are a way to kind of make it really safe and okay to ask the questions. And to your point around questions being the gateway to um, sort of future productive uh, conversations, I think this the way in which the book captures this from the world's leading experts in in the the field, all in one place, is is a, a brilliant. Uh, a, a brilliant piece of work. So well done to the, the two of you and to everyone who contributed to the book in, in being able to um, capture it all so well. Um, uh, I'm conscious of our time and, and um, uh, uh, I, I want to make sure we cover everything that you would, would like us to to cover. So my, my next question is, is there, is there anything that you would have wanted me to have asked you that I haven't done? So um, this is where I put the emphasis on uh, asking the right question back to you. <laughs>
2: Yeah, um, just just clarification maybe because um, it, it's a little bit confusing, I guess, because "Wealth of Wisdom" is the title of both of the books. But the reason we did that is it's a little bit of a series, and and the, the Keith, you know, referred to it. Though it's the wealth of wisdom of all of these people combined in one place. So that was the idea of it. So the first book that came out uh, in two thousand and nineteen, maybe. Um, is uh, wealth of wisdom the top 50 questions wealthy families ask and this book is called wealth of wisdom the uh it's called top practices for wealthy families and their advisors so i know sometimes you know people uh call them the brown and the green wealth of wisdom because <laughs> they have two different colored trees on them or wealth of wisdom one and wealth of wisdom two but um you know uh i just thought that might be clarification and also, if people are looking for more information on the book and, um, and on the podcast, if you go to wealthofwisdombook, singular, uh, .com, wealthofwisdombook.com, wealthofwisdombook.com, uh, it, it has a list of the books and uh, links to Amazon and various other booksellers, but it also has all the podcasts listed. Now, you can also get the podcasts on any of your um, podcast apps – they're all freely available there, but uh, if you want to sort of just get an overview of the wealth of wisdom books, they're there. So sometimes I just find that people are a little bit, well, what, which which book is which, and so I want I thought it'd be worth clarifying that.
0: Perfect, thank you, and uh, I'll be sure to. Um, put links to all of those uh, in the show notes for this show as well. So um, if people uh, haven't got a pen and paper to hand, head over to the show notes and the links will all be there. Uh, Tom, Keith, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, As you know, I'm a big fan of both of the books and they do sit alongside each other on my uh, bookshelf. Um, They are exceptionally uh, useful and and, uh, you've created a a really uh, valuable um, tool for, for families and advisors. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, and thank you for being part of this conversation today on the, on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having us. Our pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. If you found this episode useful, please share it with friends and family. And it would be great if you could leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show get found by others who are looking for help and support with owning or running their family business. If you are looking for support with a particular challenge, you can head to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ and find out more about how I may be able to help. Until next time, take care.